Hey, everybody, we got a big news show for you today. It is Wednesday. We're at the top of the mountain. It's windy up here, Molly. There's a lot going on. It's windy and there's an avalanche of news. So a yes. little thing that went by the other day that we didn't even get around to covering was the fact that the, the head of Amazon's consumer retail division, Dave Clark, left. But then today, come to find out, he is going to be the new CEO of Flexport, mm. meaning that founder... Ryan Peterson is stepping yeah. back to be executive chairman. So lots to unpack Amazing. there. Amazing. Great, great job. That's a, that's a serious get. And mm -hmm. uh, the scooter app Bird is laying off almost a quarter of its team. We're going to talk about these layoffs in context and how you can learn from them as a capital allocator or a founder or somebody who's working in the startup industry. Yeah. Speaking of birds, uh, I believe I've heard a little bird whispering about a possible yes. feature that Twitter might do. Looks like Twitter's doing it. Bring your yeah. own algorithm. Mm, yeah, this is going to be great. BYOA. Uh, if you don't like the algorithm they're uh, providing you, hey, maybe pick one written by an independent open source provider. This could change everything in social media, including the toxicity. Maybe the people who are the loudest and the most annoying uh, will get less prominence in your feed. Yeah. Uh, or maybe you can make your feed total chaos. Uh, <laughs> we have an incredible startup of the day today. It's called Multiverse, uh, which thankfully is unrelated to the metaverse or <laughs> Doctor Strange. Instead, they're building a pipeline of apprenticeships as a college alternative. I love apprenticeships as love a this. career path. Love that. Love it. And then uh, we're going to wrap with a quick hit on Citadel getting into crypto. And speaking of institutional investors, Gary Gensler in the SEC hinting that there might be some overhauls in the payment for order flow space coming for mm, Robin Hood. It's going to be a great show. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by Coda. Coda is the all-in-one doc for teams. If you've got a stack of niche workflow tools or if you're buried in docs and spreadsheets, Coda is the doc that brings it all together. Startups can get a $1,000 credit at coda.io slash twist. Odoo. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Your first app is free forever, and right now, Odoo is offering $1,000 off your first implementation pack at odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. And Active Campaign. The hardest thing in business is turning a lead into a customer into a repeat customer. Simplify the process and start creating repeat customers with 10% off your Active Campaign subscription today at activecampaign.com/promo/twist. All right, first up today, Flexport founder and all-in bestie guesty, a friend of the pod here at this week in startups, Ryan Peterson announced that he recruited Amazon's consumer CEO Dave Clark to join Flexport and eventually replace him as CEO. This is huge news. Tee it up for us. This is huge news. So uh, Dave Clark built that Amazon consumer division. He had been at Amazon for ages um, yeah. and recently left. And it was surprising and raised a lot of questions. And as it turns out, he is joining logistics startup Flexport as co-CEO, in case you're not familiar with Flexport. It's a company that helps companies uh, move products around the globe, what is known in the logistics industry as a freight forwarder. And and listen, Ryan Peterson is a beast yeah. as a founder. Flexport was evidently the seventh largest buyer of cargo between Asia and North America, as Forbes reported in February. It was founded in 2013, generated $3.3 billion in revenue in 2021 and is forecasting almost $5 billion wow. 
for 2022. It's not pure software margins, but Flexport was profitable in Q1 and valued at $8 billion by lead investors A16Z before they went all crypto all the time and MSD Capital, which is Michael Dell's family office. Mm. Yeah, it looks like Dave is going to start working September 1st. So he gets his summer. Uh, they'll be co-CEOs for six months. And then Ryan's going to move to the executive chairman role. For those of you who don't know that role, executive chairman, chairman means you run the board of directors. Executive means you're still working at the company. So those are the two words in that uh, title. Clark became the CEO of the Amazon Global Consumer Retail Business. I think that means the stuff we buy, like stuff you know, we buy, the stuff we buy yeah. in 2021 after eight years as an SVP, Senior Vice President of Worldwide Operations, spent his entire 23 years at Amazon deep in their logistics business and um, was promoted to run the Northeast Fulfillment Centers in 2003. Last week, he resigned from Amazon. And there's his tweet uh, from Dave Clark. Uh, I've had an incredible time at Amazon, but it's time for me to build again. It's what drives me to all I've had the honor of working with. Oh my gosh, turning into an Oscar speech here. <laughs> Can you start playing that? Play me off. This Thanks. tweet's too long. Thank, Thank you. you for making Thank it you. so much. Da, da, da. Fun to come to work. Da, da, da. To work every day for 23 years. Invert, invent cool, amazing things for customers. Uh, da, da, da. <laughs> just trying to like make up some Oscar music on the fly. Yeah, um, it's just a little much. Yeah, it's a little yeah much. I mean, so there's like a million different things to unpack here, including... Wow, he was only CEO of the consumer retail division since 2021, yes. going to do this interesting opportunity after 23 years, right? So build years. again, I have a question. However, the other big question that this raises, why is Ryan bringing in an outside CEO? And here's what he wrote on Twitter. And I think this is fascinating. He says, why am I transitioning to executive chairman when things are going so well? It's simple. The more we learn about our markets and learning about the world economy is the best part of working at Flexport. The more we realize the opportunity in front of us is enormous. I'm now to the point where the only fear I have left for Flexport is that we're not living yeah. up to our potential. And he said he wanted to get the most entrepreneurial leader mm -hmm. he could find yeah. to build this thing into the like infinite growth beast that he wants it to be. You know, these things get so big, um, you know, at a certain point that you're just going to need help. And mm -hmm. um, some of the, the some of the best ways to do that as a founder is to give somebody the CEO slot who has much more experience than you. Yeah. And in this case, you know, somebody who has worked in Amazon for 23 years, Amazon basically changed the face of the supply chain. Really, it's two companies who changed supply chains, Apple and Amazon, right? Yep. So if you could get either of those type of executives who've been there for 20 years plus, you think about the knowledge that this person has having watched, you know, Amazon launch basics, Amazon Prime, Amazon in other countries. There's knowledge that would take Ryan 20 years. Totally. So basically, this I mean, person shows up with 20 years of knowledge Ryan doesn't have to acquire. And the price for that is like you give them the CEO slot and yeah. they get to use all that energy to be a leader. And then you get that pent up. This is what I like about it is, you know, somebody's six man of the year on like some team or they're the number three on the team, and then they get to be the number one. You think like KD, Russell Westbrook, and um, James Harden when they were on that uh, Oklahoma Thunder team, right? It's like three oh, yeah. crazy all-stars who changed the league. And yep. they break up. They get their own teams. All of a sudden, I think all three of them have been MVPs. Somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. They can't all be the MVP of the league or the finals or, you know, or the conference if they're on the same team. <laughs> it's just not possible. It's not mm -hmm. enough balls in the game. And it... I, it is so interesting because it's a very mature, I think, mm -hmm. and smart move by yes. Ryan Peterson that also takes advantage of 
some disruption yeah. at Amazon, right? We have seen since yeah. uh, Andy Jassy came over. In fact, Best T and the Nodi Gang pointed this out. Jassy's cleaning house with Amazon's executive ranks. Liz Coddington just left to mm-hmm. take over the CEO, CFO position at Peloton. Mm-hmm. She was Amazon CFO. We have seen in recent uh, earnings reports that Amazon's retail business is somewhat break even relative to the other parts of the business. It's very clear that like Jassy at Amazon is yeah. all in on the cloud business, less yeah. interested potentially in the retail business, which yikes for all of us who live and breathe Amazon all day, every day. Um, but it it gives Ryan Peterson, I think, this great moment to pounce and yeah. to get somebody with, I mean, the fulfillment network. That yeah. Amazon has built the yeah. warehouses, the lockers, the pickup, the drop off, the returns, like their all own of that. planes. They, they launched their own fleet of planes. They, they planes. essentially bought their own, from my understanding, I don't know if they technically bought their own factories. The way it was explained to me is they bought like the next 50 year rights to these factories, you know, and they work with the families who own them in various regions, but they essentially have bought them out. And, you know, this Flexport is kind of the most important private company right now, along with Stripe. Yes. Very similar situation to Airbnb and Uber when they were private companies before they went public. So this will be, you know, these two are going to be what we'll be talking about over the coming years. When we see the next wave, we had this Google wave and then Facebook and Twitter going public. Then you had the Uber, Airbnb, uh, you know, cohort. And the next cohort is going to be uh, Flexport uh, and Stripe. And when we see those go out, that's when you know the market is going to be uh, through the other side of the cycle, right? Mm. So if you want to know when the recession's yeah. over, it's when those two go public and people are losing their minds over them. Antonio Gracias, um, friend of mine, uh, who was the original investor in SpaceX and uh, Tesla, or one of the original investors, he was just at the All In Summit, uh, did a Q&A with us, and he said his biggest regret as an investor was not leading a Flexport round uh, that SoftBank uh, led and meme account praying for exits, which has been on the show anonymously. It's like one of two people who were ever anonymous on the show, uh, said, you know, he, he could be on the cap table of any private company would be flexport yeah and uh yeah so congratulations to the team over there congratulations Congratulations and a lot of i mean again a lot of maturity and wisdom by ryan peterson to say let's bring in this freaking rock star and turn this thing into amazon of of global logistics huge if you're a startup you know you have to save where you can i'm talking about time and money and your bandwidth that's why we love coda Coda is one doc to rule them all. And here's a quick example. My guy Presh just made a beautiful template for investor updates. Yes, if you're a founder and you have investors, you want to update them, especially in these uncertain times, so that they can support you, maybe invest a little more. How do you write an investor update? Well, we got you covered. Go to thisweekinstartups.com slash investor updates and use my template. Coda has tons of templates waiting there for you for almost anything you want to do. Coda works right out of the box. It's totally customizable. And your text and your tables can live together in the same document. This means all your valuable data, your objectives and your strategies are all in one place. And your team is literally on the same page. You can onboard new hires quickly from anywhere because they get to see all the best practices and you're going to react quickly to all the changes that will happen in your business. Join the productivity revolution and sign up for Coda today. Head to coda.io slash twist and you'll sign up and get $1,000 in credits. I kid you not. Coda.io slash twist for $1,000 off. I mean, and if you look at it, the last couple of cycles, most of the big companies were uh, consumer. So Google, Facebook, Airbnb, Uber, all consumer. Interestingly, Stripe is like a developer finance tool, uh, I guess people would argue. And 
Um, Flexboard is clearly a business to business SaaS slash logistics company. So um, what's happening is uh, tech is moving from just being a consumer experience into infecting every sector of totally. society. Yeah. Uh, so it's not a coincidence that we're seeing, you know, other hundred, you know, potentially hundred billion dollar, fifty billion dollar companies, which is what I would say these companies will go public at at some point. Um, yeah, and, and then we'll actually I even have uh, a weapons company too coming out of Silicon Valley with Andrew. Yeah. I also look forward in the next five to 10 years to climate tech companies increasingly being among those, those cohorts. Cause give that's it, just, give it 10 years. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, John Doerr just gave that billion dollars to Stanford to start a school uh, around climate tech saying this is the next computer science. You know, I, I was speaking at David Freeberg's uh, production board LP meeting just yesterday and they asked me about climate and I said, you know, it's really interesting. It, it is really being driven, I think, and Chamath agreed with me. Uh, by consumers. Um, and that's where we're going to see that first wave of wins, I think. And I was like, look, at you know, you got companies that are, you know, doing coral or, you know, allowing merchants to to help people, um, you know, make donations to charity. You know, you have people working on packaging of consumer goods. Like, it's really almost every one of the stories, I don't know if you're seeing this, it seems to have most stories seem to have some compelling consumer uh, angle to it. Now, sale plan, a company we invested in is B2B. So there'll be B2B ones. But man, the consumer, yeah. the consumer in that space is relentless. Young people not buying clothes. It's just such an amazing trend to me. Totally. Young people always have loved buying new clothes. Yep. Now you have young people who are like, I don't want to buy new clothes. My daughter was like, I don't know if I want to buy new clothes. Can we go to a vintage store? I'm like, why? She's like, well, there's more clothes than we need on the planet. And those clothes are perfectly fine. And I want to go buy those and they're cooler anyway. So there's like, really? Wow. It's really I mean, a huge shift. I mean, granted, on the other hand, you're seeing shine, right? Like dominate the freaking planet with the fastest fashion on earth. God help yeah. us. It's like yeah. an ecological nightmare, but you see an equal and opposite reaction. And the yes. reason I'm making all these faces, if you're watching it on video is because I completely agree. And I've had investors literally mock me for saying, I think that there is a massive consumer yeah. opportunity here not even just opportunity but like responsibility like yes is it the fault of the fossil fuel industry and their disinformation campaigns and corporations who pollute and get away with it sure but when consumers all do something at the same time like say i don't want high fructose corn syrup in my food anymore yeah it changes and if we're the ones who yeah. give them something to buy yeah they're gonna buy it, it you know it, i'm a pragmatist like if consumers were rejecting this and they're like i don't want to pay extra for solar panels that's too much work like why do I want to have these people ripping up my roof? It'd be like, right. okay, let's find another solution. Like put the solar panels somewhere else. People don't want them on their roofs. People want them on their roofs. Yeah. They want to look at them every day. They want to open their solar app and see, and they want to geek out to that. Just like I want to geek out to, you know, never going to a gas station. That was like, that was my <laughs> big conversation with people for 10 years after I got the roadster. They're like, what's yeah. it like? I'm like, I haven't been to a gas station in six months. I have not pulled into a gas station. In like two years, I had to pull in because I want to get a cup of coffee when I was driving up and down the, you know, five going on a long road trip. And I was like, I guess I have to pull into a gas station. Where do I put my car? Right. <laughs> you know, like, are there spots here? <laughs> I'm, I'm not getting gas. So, you know, it, it's it a really value is. Add. And now increasingly yeah. because of people like you and me, and I believe yeah. it is actually the responsibility and duty of well uh, middle to upper middle class consumers to adopt these technologies because that's what sure. makes them affordable for everybody else. And now solar and wind are the cheapest energy out there full stop yeah. in every state. Like it's yeah. now it's the best economic decision too. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, this is, this. It's, it's, it, it, the thing is if 
just like I had a blind spot for Airbnb. Um, I didn't have the opportunity to invest in Airbnb, but you know, I thought it was a really dumb idea, like a niche. I, I would say dumb. I thought it was a very niche idea. I was like couch surfing. Like I don't want to yeah. get stabbed by, I don't want to like stay in a serial killer's house. I don't want to, you know, serial killers to be hosting people. Like this is the craziest idea. And yet it's become super normalized and there are, it's, there's no serial killer phenomenon associated with right. uh, <laughs> Airbnb. Like if you're a serial killer, like Craigslist maybe you is don't scarier wanna... than Airbnb. <laughs> well, I mean, I, again, if you want to be a serial killer, do you really want to have to like, you know, work people and meet them there and leave them a gift basket <laughs> and get them, remind them to leave a five-star review. Oh, it's not pictures. exactly Jeffrey Dahmer behavior. Can you like Hannibal Lecter's call on your phone? Oh, Clarice, Clarice, <laughs> can you leave a five-star review for me? <laughs> Clarice. The Wi-Fi password, Clarice, uh, is... It puts the lotion in the basket. Keante. <laughs> Keante is the Wi-Fi password, Clarice. <laughs> Clarice, have the neighbors stopped crying? Can you hear All the right. lambs, Clarice? Okay. All right, now you're freaking me out. Okay, <laughs> I'm literally like, I'm getting, a little, I'm getting the wiggles over here. Okay, but speaking of Molly, consumer who is this facing... Man you see? <laughs> what, what does he covet, Molly? <laughs> who is this farmer you seek? My brother and I was like, it puts the lotion on its skin or else it gets the hose again. Ugh. Puts the lotion in the basket. <laughs> it puts the lotion no, in the I basket. Just, I'm, all, I'm all in on Hannibal You're full Lecter. Hannibal. Which is, that's fitting, actually. That's appropriate. Um, have the lamp If you're going to be crying. the bad guy, be the baddest guy. Be the baddest guy. Exactly. All right. Speaking of consumer-facing companies, however, okay. that do, in fact, have yeah. a strong uh, climate-positive mm. argument, uh, and as rough. Flexport positions itself for expansion, the massive mm. layoff wave continues. This yeah. one, uh, the hurts. latest to be hit is the micro-mobility company, this Bird, yeah. which is planning to lay off 23% of its staff, accounting for 138 workers. Mm. Over the past month, their stock has sunk 42.5%. And this is, by the way, I, I think the latest numbers I saw, this were at something like 17,000 tech workers total being laid off. Although in this case, I have to say, I feel like there were already existing questions about bird and this business. Yeah, model. I mean, listen, I, I, this is like a part of the narrative when, you know, you really start to feel terrible about this, because, um, you know, if you look at bird, uh, what they're doing is um, important in the world, right? Uh, it's important to have this micro mobility, consumers love it. Mm -hmm. But we always knew that this on a unit economics right. would be one of the um hardest businesses to actually make work and i'm trying to find the is it bird global the name of the is the name of the the actual company so they went out on a SPAC at ten dollars right like yeah. the SPACs do and now and, they're trading at 71 cents and also had to lay off 30 percent of its employees at the beginning of the pandemic they let off like yeah. 400 people then because it was already there was already yeah. you know big trouble it sucks i mean it sucks they're, 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 it really sucks uh and so I think the this might be one of these businesses. I and I again I, I don't want to be dunking here and say I told you so because I know this is like people are suffering. I, a lot of my friends are investors in this business. Uh Sachs was a big investor. Rula from Sequoia was investor. Antonio Gracias was investor. So my friends are all in this. And the Travis, the person who is running this, is awesome. And the team is awesome. And the product is awesome. And it's important. So all of that is true. Yeah. I think when we look at this and what the lesson is, is unit economics are super important. Uh, and Mark Suster was actually my good friend Mark Suster. Uh, from upfront ventures was the original investor in it so I've, i have i had four friends who were on i think all of them on the board and this company was a high flyer yeah um and it had the opportunity probably to sell for multiple billions of dollars to lyft uber 
you know, and other folks, and they didn't. Uh, and now they're worth mm. 200 million, maybe right now. Um, that company has had hundreds of millions invested in it, and they're worth only 200 million right now. The problem is unit economics. And we all saw the writing on the wall with this, which was, they were saying this was the Uber killer. And I looked at it and I talked to like, you know, the Bill Gurley's of the world. And, you know, obviously, Travis from Uber, not Travis from bird. And, you know, we had like really long discussions about this and thinking about it from first principles, it was like, Okay, these things can only operate in certain cities. There is mm -hmm. a very finite window where scooters work. Santa Monica, Venice, you know, maybe some parts of San Francisco or Oakland, but maybe not other parts of Oakland, right? It certainly doesn't work in the suburbs. It's for what right. one mile rides. It's urban micro mobility. The micro mobility. It's, it's like it's not cost effective to take an Uber, so you just take this thing a mile because it's too far to walk. Exactly. That's a that's as a TAM goes as a bottom yeah. up TAM exercise. Yes, it's just not that many. So you really have to do a bottom up TAM here. So I, I always like to include a lesson here in what we can learn from these things. So yeah. this is a great part of a bigger company. It's a great part of a, a transportation company, just like bikes are too. But if we go bottom up TAM, not how many rides are there that are under a mile or two miles? That's what people were telling me. Hey, this is why this business is gonna be awesome. Under two mile rides equal this percentage of the rides. And it was some incredible number, like 50% yeah. of rides are under two miles in lifts and Ubers and whatever and taxis. Okay, now you drill down. Okay, who wants to get on this thing and risk, you know, put a helmet on risk breaking the wrist. Okay, so two thirds of users are not interested in physical activity like this, they want to sit in a car and use their phone or make a phone call. Uh, they don't want to do a physical activity like this. Then you say which cities will allow it, Tam gets smaller. Then you say under what weather conditions is possible. It's not working in the freezing cold. It's not working in the snow or the rain. So in Arizona, Okay, maybe in Phoenix, you know, or like the dense part of the city, but not in the suburb part of the city. Mm -hmm. So it was a very small market. It was one part of the mix, but they did make their own hardware, which was very good. And they solved so many problems. Um, so, you know, I, I, it's, it's tragic in a way, a lot of effort went into this. And uh, it's just tragic to see this hardware is hard, folks. And yeah. then you add hardware to operating in the real world. And it's really difficult. I think the business here, which they had as part of the business was allowing people to run franchises, and they would power the franchise. Mm. So if you wanted to run this in your town, Molly, and create a business, you could rent scooters for, you know, 50 bucks a day, or maybe 25 bucks a day, people could use them for the whole day or whatever. It kind of works in that in that way, or for municipalities to do it or for campuses to do it, but it may not work as, you know, uh, a straight up Lyft Uber competitor. And I think that's why Uber and Lyft never really they, they, I think Uber had bought Jump at one point, and I don't yeah, even know if they're still Jump, operating I that. I don't even know if they're operating that business. Maybe they still have the bikes, but I'm not sure. Maybe. I mean, because the other thing that happened is everything you just said plus pandemic. People stopped yeah. taking any rides, let alone one to two mile rides, and so then you had this sort of like quintuple whammy. And yes, I mean, we don't want to belabor the layoff story. It's heartbreaking to see. It sounds like Bird was actually a really great place to work, and they handled the the layoffs. Yeah, it was, yeah really well. But I think we're now what we're going to start to see in addition to all of the you know, the layoff trackers have been busy, yeah. we're now looking at a rising tide of potential ruin. We've talked about a couple of companies that have so little cash in the bank at this point that yeah, it's, it's more dire, possibly and I and we don't know that that is the case with bird, but it's, it's getting not pretty looking good. Yeah, I mean, it's not looking good. Here's the thing. It, 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 Peloton bird, you know, we talked about uh, BuzzFeed, when things correct this violently this quickly, and capital markets turn off, if you haven't cashed up and had a huge amount of cash in the bank, and you're losing money, oh, my Lord, you got a problem. And this is why I was always again, 
you know, uh, this isn't like Uber's got its own challenges, obviously. But the thing I always appreciate about what Uber was doing is they always kept a massive cash reserve, like a yep. massive, unbelievably, mm. some people said obscene amount of cash on hand. Yeah. Like in a situation like this, an obscene amount of cash comes in handy. And so I think when you look at Peloton, when you look at uh, BuzzFeed, when you look at what's happening with Bird, the cash shortfall is going to be the problem. They're not going to have the time in some cases. We'll see to figure this out. And I think they get bought. I think they'll just be part of a bigger thing. So I think so too. Lyft I was thinking or about how Uber should bastards. just buy it now, you know? They really should, actually. I was just thinking about how those jerks at Apple are just going to win all over again. They're going to win and win and win because everything is going to get so cheap and they're sitting on $200 billion of cash and they're just going to be scooping yeah. stuff up left yeah. and right. Well, I mean, if we think about Peloton, I wonder if there's an existing gym company that actually has a lot I mean, of seriously. cash. And, yeah, like there might be like a, another company that's like an the Orange fitness. Theory or, a you know, those what's, things, the yeah. one, what's the one that's super expensive that all the starts of the C Barry's Boot Camp. Oh, you're talking about not Cybex equipment. Or I don't maybe know. There's, like the fitness. there's a ton of these, but I'm thinking there might be like a Nike or something that looks at this, you know, some global brand and says, you know, what? Nike should own Peloton. Oh my God. We you can know run it should buy Peloton? Even. Equinox. I was thinking of Equinox. Equinox. Um, yeah. You okay, know what right. should buy Peloton actually is like Bonvoy, like a hotel yeah, chain. Sure. Absolutely. Put, them Put in that in every hotel. Yeah. If you stay in the hotel, you get your year's membership paid for free. Right. It comes for free with it. Yeah. So these things that can't be standalone businesses, that'll be another trend we'll see, Molly, is things that can't stand on their own um, will be absorbed and become a feature of other products. And that's that's what we're seeing here, I think. BuzzFeed, you know, at this point, Buzz, Vox should just buy BuzzFeed, right? They should. And instead of Vox going public, maybe they just, you know, in a way do a hostile takeover of BuzzFeed and now they're public. Um, and that would be a, a, a way for them to backdoor into going public and have the shell of it and, you know, just start. I mean, it's only worth 300 million. If they just started buying shares on the open market. Marriott, I mean, not buy. Yeah. Bonvoy is what they own. Marriott has a $56 billion market cap. Sure. Nick is checking on the cash reserves. What does Peloton have then? Yeah. So it was a good idea. Actually. He's looking, he's looking. Right. Yeah. Cause I was actually one of the hotels. Yeah. Uh, I stayed in one of the hotels I stayed in in Miami had a, had one Peloton. Yeah. And I told our producer, Justin, who is a Peloton fiend. I was like, dude, you should come to this hotel. They've got a Peloton. But I was thinking like, man, if they had Peloton and every like in a uh, fancy hotel situation, like I that's... was in um, Peloton yeah, Pel market cap is 4.1 billion. So if Marriott has the cash reserves or Weston, totally. totally. do it. I, you know, here's the thing. I, um, I was at uh, the proper hotel. Uh, sometimes I stay there when I'm in Austin uh, and the proper hotel had a tonal machine. I have a tonal machine. Oh, yeah. You open up the total machine, it says open your app and scan this. So I guess they put it in hotel mode. And there's a little QR code. I scan it. The machines welcome, Jason, here's all your information. And then when I stop working out, it's like logging you out in 90 seconds, click here to not log out. <laughs> and yeah. so it automatically logs you out. So you don't have to worry about somebody, you know, using your account. See, That's what I'm talking about. That yeah. would be amazing. Brilliant. Yeah. So there's some ideas for you. Folks. Anyway, there you go. Let's You're keep welcome. moving. Listen, right now, capital efficiency and extending your runway is more important than ever. So how are you going to do that? Well, one easy way is to cut costs and run all of your SaaS apps on one platform. And for that, you need to check out Odoo's amazing suite of business apps. It's going to save you so much time and so much money. Using Odoo means you won't have a bunch of different SaaS subscriptions to manage and all that money. Your credit card bill comes every month. You're in shock. Everything you need is already on Odoo. And all you have to do is turn it on when you're ready. And Odoo will only charge you for the apps that you actually use. Odoo has over 40 main apps and over 16,000 in their open source community. 
We're talking sales, accounting, marketing automation, HR, website builders, and so much more. And this will streamline your business perfectly, aka no more transferring data back and forth from all these disparate products and services that you use. And you'll have one customer support contact across all of your apps, not 20. And the best part? Well, first app is free forever. They're going to give you $1,000 right now off your first implementation pack. That's right. You're going to go to odoo.com slash twist and get $1,000 off. What a generous offer. That's odoo.com slash twist. Let's keep All right. Here. Speaking of ideas uh, yeah. that apparently are being picked up by the market, mm. like in real time, yeah. uh, Jane Wong from, who's a tech writer, followed yes. by Protocol, breaks a lot of stories about Twitter, uh, has reported on Twitter, <laughs> that Twitter. Is working she, on- what she does is she is she looks at all the code, Molly. And when she finds things in the code, she reports on things in Twitter's code or the API uh-huh. that could be indicative of future uh, hardware products or future product releases, just like people will look at iOS for indications of what's to come, you know, like little Easter eggs. So she does that. But I'm not sure who she works for. I think she's independent. Yeah, seems um, to be. But she has a history of breaking everything like she nice. finds all the the nuggets. So what did she find this time? Well, she has see she seems to have found a nugget that suggests that Twitter is indeed working on custom timelines driven by custom algorithms that are viewable Got to it. the users, possibly opening up, I'm reading from the tweet, the timeline curation aka the mm-hmm. algorithm to third-party developers. So in theory this would be like maybe Twitter creates mm. at first Yep. A bunch of custom timelines. Do you want only politics? Do you want no politics? Do you want celebrity news? Do you want all Depp heard all the time? That kind of thing. Yeah. But in the future, maybe you could be like, I only want to get yeah. the Peloton feed or the the venture capital feed as curated by Cal or whatever it is, or the climate tech feed. Uh, you know, you could also do... It's really interesting. Well, here, here's an interesting idea for a feed. I want feeds that... Um, I want a feed of the most interesting political discussions by people using the least charged language. Right. Right. So I'm trying to get to intellectually interesting. So I want the political discussions and news discussions. I want news discussions, global Mm -hmm. news discussions, by people who have the highest reading level. I'm sorry, the highest verbal ability. Mm. So Mm. instead of people writing fragments of sentences um, and using an eighth grade level or a fifth grade level, I want the people who are writing on a 12th grade level and who are writing intelligent things. And, you know, I'm not saying that algorithm works, but if you right. have but a it's thousand a start, algorithms right? it's being a made, it's a start. 100%. And somebody's going like, to figure it out. There are yeah. linguistics professors yeah. who can, like, literally create a heat index of the, sure. the, the emotional temperature behind a tweet so that even yeah. if the vocabulary level is high, there might still be a lot of heat in the tweet. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I'm thinking Glenn Greenwald, for example. Sure. Very, very smart. Hella heated. Yeah. Sometimes. Maybe you um, want that. Yeah. Most passionate. Maybe you want that or maybe you don't. Maybe you literally have a heat index for your tweets. Like yeah. I would like to filter my news by yeah. low heat. A I want the most passionate and highest reading level, you know, highest verbal ability. You know, uh, I want the most concise. Yeah. Uh, I want the ones by people who are followed by. I want the political discussion of people followed by politicians. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I want ones of people not followed by politics. I don't know. There's there's some vector here, you know? I would like to see what all the people on the right, right? Like, I would love to have a feed that was like, here's like the David Sachs, Glenn Greenwald, you know, right side feed. So before I do all in, I can see what they're seeing, right? I can see what they're geeking out to. What does their world look like, right? 
yeah. want the Ben Shapiro, you know, David Sachs, Glenn Greenwald, you know, Daily Wire feed. And I want to just consume that and see what it's about. Just as what I did during the whole Trump era, I would listen to uh, a little bit of Ben Shapiro, a little bit of um, uh, Rachel Maddow, and I listened to them back to back. And mm -hmm. they would be covering the same topic. And it was just like, really? <laughs> Is there this much between the two? And then I would listen to The Economist or, you know, at the Times, The New York Times wasn't as far left. But um, I would just try to find things in between the two, you know? Lawfare is a good podcast, um, you know, and I just try to find some things in the middle. So, but everybody's got a different media diet they want. So this is going to be awesome. Uh, could solve a lot of problems for people. Uh, honestly, that's what I'm sort of waiting to see is I wonder if it'll solve a lot of problems for people. I'm curious to see if that will be the case. I hope so. Mm -hmm. um, well, it's certainly going to educate people as to the algorithm and give them agency. Right yeah. now, we are, we have zero agency when it comes to the algorithm. There is no choice but to accept the algorithm from TikTok as is. Facebook, TikTok, Twitter, yeah. like, Instagram. I think Facebook and Twitter, you're allowed to at least do, you can change it chronological. to chronological, but which actually is a pretty remarkable experiment. And what I think, yeah, for sure, what we'll find is an interesting, like real time social experiment and what people actually want versus what they think they want. Because a lot of times they turn sure. on the chronological and they're like, actually, I just want you to give me the most interesting tweets. And well, then companies are like, we did all the research and it turns out that you think is interesting is really bad for you. But yeah, it's well, interesting. Here's you know. the thing. I, what I would like to do, I, I've, I've thought about a slider for my feed. Yeah. I would like to have a slider that says make it 50% um, reverse chronological and 50% best of. Mm -hmm. And when it's best of, put it in a light orange background, some, you know, an orange, you know, uh, rule around it. That's like a thin line. Put a little orange line around it. So I know that's like, is, you know, orange to red is how hot the tweet is, but it's from yep. the last 24 hours or since I was last online. And then the 50% is, you know, reverse chronological. So when I'm scrolling through, I'm getting the most recent combined with, you know, the, the most uh, trending. That's yeah. the feed I'm looking for. Yeah. It's like, and, but I want to, I want to control. The I slider. love a slider too. So, cause I want to, I want to alter it in real time. Right. I want to be yes. like, Ooh, Twitter is really making me mad today to lower the heat. Just like, give me star Wars. Okay. I don't so hear... you want the heat one, right? Yeah. Anger. Yeah. Or, or, or percentage politics, right? Or percentage politics, exactly. Like I might, I might actually, there might be days where I take news down. Yes, no more news. It's just, I'm just like, I, I can't, right? I'm too upset, whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. You know, um, this is, uh, one of the things I'm doing is trying to find some content like a uh, masterclass or I got my masterclass going again and um, I'm, I'm going to do some of those 30 day like courses there. Mm -hmm. And I do my MIT course where I'm trying to find things like that, that are, you know, just build my knowledge base. Yeah. Um, and make me feel enriched. So I'm looking for if, if people have suggestions for me, email producers at or just at Jason me on social. Uh, I'm looking for things like a playlist of things that'll make me smarter or, you know, like entertainment, educational, educ edutainment. I'm looking edutainment. for edutainment, what we yeah. used to call edutainment. I'll get smarter, but it's presented in a way that like this podcast hopefully is entertaining in some way. So that's what I'm looking for more of because the doom yeah. scrolling is not working for me. Like I, the, the I realized with this gun stuff and the school shooting, like, I just like, I it kind of broke my brain. And I was just like, I got to stay off this news. It's, it's yeah. just too, it's making me too, I don't want to say it, but it's making me depressed. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I, yes. Yeah. And almost by design. And it's just not, I know, I yeah. like, this is so embarrassing, but I'm so grateful that one, I'm so busy here 
that I read, like literally yesterday, I had no time for Twitter. Like somebody told me something that was happening on Twitter that was everybody was talking about. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I'm, I don't know what you're talking about. Thank God. Um, and then second, I installed Candy Crush because during those yeah. rando 20 minutes, uh, when I might be tempted to look at Twitter, I'm like, now setting a timer yeah. and I'm playing Candy Crush instead. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you like want to, brain, my son is like, you're a boomer. You're officially yeah, you're a boomer. I'm like, like yeah, an, you're like turning into Auntie Molly. It's fine. Auntie Molly. When it gets too it. hard, I uninstall it. And then I put a new, well, I here's put a fresh thing. install. You, I, you know, I play threes or, you know, I like to play Age of Empires or these kind of like uh, real-time strategy. I like strategy games. Mm. Um, they're good for letting your brain um, get into a flow state, but without all the you know, emotional baggage that comes from the game of doom scrolling, uh, yeah. which is pretty gross. Listen, one of the hardest things in business is turning a lead into a customer, right? You get that lead, but now you got to close that customer and keeping that customer around for the long term, right? It's a funnel. Do people even know who you are? Did you get that lead? Did you turn them into a customer? And did they stick with you? Well, one of the best ways to do that is by having a seamless customer experience. So you'll save time and provide a tailored experience at scale. Active Campaign helps you automate email marketing, sales pipelines, reporting, follow up, scheduling, notifications, and more. The whole process is dialed in and it's going to cut out all those tedious manual tasks like moving information around, cutting and pasting checking for customer replies and sending emails. You want to have a great process, you want to refine that process, and you need a great tool. And that great tool is Active Campaign. So start creating personalized customer experiences and get 10% off your Active Campaign subscription today at activecampaign.com slash promo slash twist. That's activecampaign.com slash promo slash twist for 10% off. And most importantly, to let them know that you're a fan of this week in startups. Uh, in our startup of the day segment, Molly, uh, we all know companies like Microsoft, City, and Verizon, um, you know, are always trying to get talented people. Um, but you know, not everybody wants to go to college. And so there should be some new career pathways. And one of those is apprenticeships. And I've always we invested in one apprenticeship company. I've looked at a lot of them. People are resistant to apprenticeships, they kind of put them into, like, maybe predatory i'll say like if they're mm. if you're paying for an apprenticeship should you be paying to do work mm. uh people look at them as like unpaid internships that's triggering for people they feel there's an inequity in, uh, uh they're uh not equitable i guess is what some people argue could understand that argument i guess um mm -hmm. although i'm more in the camp of like free will <laughs> people should be able to do what they want to do but i get the counter arguments uh but it does seem to me that an apprenticeship is a quick way uh, or if you call it an unpaid internship, uh, but one with more training involved in it. If there is actual training, and it's not just going to get lattes for people is a really cool way to, um, you know, get a career path. So tell us about multiverse. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it also, it's all wonderful. I'm surprised to hear there's that backlash. But I guess I just hadn't paid that much attention. Multiverse, however, mm -hmm. is a company that's just raised a $220 million Series D at a $1.7 billion valuation wow. to offer tuition free programs in areas like software engineering, digital marketing, and data analysis. These are apprenticeships that last 12 to 15 months. They blend on-the-job training with online education and a community, mm -hmm. and they're paid. So they're paid apprenticeships okay. at these companies like City, Verizon, Microsoft, and KPMG. According to, and unlike something like a massively, you know, uh, what is a massively, the, the, um, the online uh, courses, the free MOOCs. Online courses? MOOCs. MOOCs. Yes. Yeah. Um, 
unlike some of those, which can have a lower completion rate because, you know, you're sort of doing that on your own time and you're not doing it as part of a real job. Um, according to Multiverse, the software engineering apprenticeship has an 85% completion rate. Wow. Yeah. And the companies are hoping to develop a pipeline of talent for these in-demand yeah. digital skills because it's hard to hire people into these jobs and also find underrepresented talent that isn't surfaced in the typical university path. You may have people who aren't getting into college or mm -hmm. just don't test well or all of the yeah. things that might or can't afford it, right? All the yeah. things that might keep somebody out of university, but you might still have a really great engineer on your hands. Yeah, it's, it's um, you know, if they're paying people to come to the apprenticeship, um, well, then it's, yeah, how could you complain about that? Even if they were paying the minimum wage, you're at least yeah. getting paid for your time and they're teaching you. So that is kind of the holy grail. Now, of course, I wonder, the devil's in the details here, I wonder what you need to have in order to get one of these apprenticeships. It does seem to me you're going to have to have some aptitude. I don't know that if you're not, you know, a top flight, you know, high school student with great math, you're getting into a developer apprenticeship. Yeah. If you don't have great uh, English and verbal ability, I doubt you're getting that marketing one, uh, digital marketing. If you are not great with logic, physics, math, science, I don't know you're getting the data analysis one. So, right. you know, this, there, there it's could for, be... I would assume it's not, yeah, it's not for people starting at zero, yeah, right? It's so like that's maybe you had a great high school experience, but you don't want to go to college or you can't yeah. afford it or, you you know... Yeah who knows what all the, the reasons are that that might not work out. And you could, you know, young and bankrupt in our Nota gang is like college doesn't pay you and charges $200,000 for the piece of paper. <laughs> Maybe you could just do this instead. I mean, this yes. is great. Like we've been talking about this at the government level forever. Yes. Here's the thing. There are careers that uh, pay incredibly well. And those careers uh, should uh, be ones that were willing to give loans or companies should defer. And then there's a, there are degrees which seem like luxurious pursuits um, that maybe have no career opportunity directly associated with them. And I think that's where, again, a very nuanced discussion about loans and about fairness, equity, yada, yada, all this stuff. I, 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 like, let's just take a very pragmatic look at this. Does yeah. the degree get you a job? How much does the degree cost? Yes. How much does the job pay? That's like the beginning and the end of this. Outcomes. Anything beyond, you know, a, 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 a four-year pursuit, two-year degree, four-year degree, six-year degree, whatever you wind up doing, if it doesn't actually result in a job, you better have your antennae up when you look at that cost. Yep. Or else yeah. you are going to get buried with loans that you have no hope of paying being, you know, a retail worker or, you know, whatever it is, and you have to do some hard pivot. And I love this focus on this is about outcomes. Yeah. Like get paid to learn the thing that you want to do has always been sort of the, the holy grail and the opposite of college, whatever you want to say about the college experience at some yeah. high level in terms of your like life experience and your blah, blah, blah. Well, the producers gave it. us the um, for, for the digital marketing job. It says you have to have the right uh, to work in the US, undertake any other work to not undertake any other work or schooling during the apprenticeship, you got to be focused, okay? Mm -hmm. You have to demonstrate interest in coding through personal academic or professional projects. Okay, there you go. So you have to have shown some aptitude here. Yep. Um, like demonstrated interest, I think means- For the software engineering one. Yeah, yeah, the software engineering one, I think you have to have written code yourself. So right. you probably have to go spend six months on your own exploring, you know, uh, YouTube videos, whatever. And uh, Or maybe you took some coding in high school, which oh, a yeah, lot of people work do too, now. Sure. Yeah. A, lot, a lot of them yeah. do now, correct. Um, so, there you have it, folks. Pretty cool. The uh, On the issue of internships, just to fill you in, um, 
unpaid internships are considered very polarizing because and I, I did see this experience and I and to be honest, I was on the other end of it. Uh, I needed to make money in the summer. Mm-hmm. Because I had to pay for my college for the past year. I was yeah. in arrears. I was I owed for money. I was in debt and had to work that whole summer, 60, 70 hours a week, three different jobs, no vacation, zero days off, zero spending to just pay off last year's tuition. Mm-hmm. So that I could get the bursar to let me sign up for a new classes in September or late August. Um, and so when you've got rich parents, you can take a free internship at Condé Nast. It actually pissed me off. Um, yeah. I was jealous. I felt the world was unfair put a fire in my belly, you know, and I, you know, I took it out on, you know, everybody by just, you know, becoming really good at my job and then dunking on these, uh, weak privileged kids, uh, and then starting my own magazine and hiring them to come work for me and then torturing them, uh, you know, on the regular. <laughs> it's a, you know what, it's a long game. He's playing people. It's a I'm long, playing a game. long, vicious game here, <laughs> but I, that was how I basically, uh, you know, took it out on people, but you know, so now there's been a movement that no, unpaid internships but now there's also you know having been an employer i don't want to do internships because internships are a drain on everybody's productivity you have to pay somebody Mm -hmm. to to waste you know somebody important you know like if i had an intern here and they had to work with you they're going to screw up your life molly like you're gonna be like why do i have to do this because like and the only time i do it i you know sorry uh sorry slash not sorry i do it as a favor man i do it for friends of mine's kids I, yeah. you know, is the world not fair? Am I doing a favor bank? Heck yes, I am. I got three daughters. I want to be able to call those favors in. Yeah. So I will literally tell my friends, if your kid needs an internship, let me know. I'll, I'll give them a 10-week internship and I pay them. And it's such a net loss for me in the short term because it's going to take somebody else's time up, you know, on my team. And I have to pay because if you don't pay, even though these kids don't need it, it creates a weird dynamic that they're mm-hmm. doing free work uh, and you can get sued. So they, they're basically becoming illegal to do these free internships. Um, so now internships are kind of going away. I would rather see apprenticeships than internships. I think that, you know, it makes a lot of sense in a company of the size where you can actually afford the resources. Cause like, listen, for a small company, yes, it is a resource drain to have an intern. It just is. I was thinking the other day, I was like, I need to find an assistant. Mm. Like maybe I can get an assistant who wants to like learn about something that I've done and and then they'll also help me with just like the house. You know, I was like brainstorming ways to. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, I was just like, I, I can't know. I'm gonna have to teach this idiot stuff. Like, I don't have time for that. <laughs> well, I mean, that, like, it seems so great to, you know, like, well, uh, I could be a mentor to someone. Nah, there's no time to be. They used to call there was a sexist term for it in business. Uh, it used to be called like a, a Friday girl or a girl mm-hmm. Friday. Girl Friday. Basically, you would if you had a small business, like you had a little construction company, you know, you were yeah. a plumber, you would have some lady come every Friday and be an office manager. Right. And it was like a specific type of, but I remember it was like a, a fry, a girl Friday or something. And yeah. it was just like somebody to come once a week just to clean up the mess. Girl Friday. Was that girl it? Girl Friday. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so that's like a personal assistant or an office manager, but for one or two days a week. And, uh, that typically worked, you know, in the, in the mix of women going back into the workforce, but not being wanting to work full time. So this is like a, a remnant of the 50s, 60s and 70s. Uh, totally. Girl Friday. I need that. I need, you a, need 50s. a girl Friday. I need a 1950s girl Friday. You need a non we'll smoke cigarettes and drink martinis Friday together. Person. You need a Friday person. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Speaking of You're ladies, oh, I have chosen. I the love I chosen. actually want to combine these All next two stories into a little quick hit because yes, you know what a freaking hit. finance nerd I am. Yes. And I think these are both big trends. So big yeah. two headlines 
that are related. One, according to Coindesk sources, Citadel Securities, which has been the target of like the retail investor uh, meme apes and GameStop and AMC investors. Yeah. Um, is that's now Ken building, Griffin, right? That's Ken, that's Ken Griffin. Exactly. Like he's like enemy number one for yeah. the, uh, the Redditors. He bought the constitution just he's to like about do, the constitution. he puts just a plus one dollar just to screw with the Dow. He, exactly. He likes to poke the tiger. That guy. Yeah. I love that They're guy. now starting a crypto a trading <laughs> marketplace. What? What? Yep. Yeah. Wow. This oh is the God. guy, Ken Griffin, <laughs> crypto skeptic, so much so that at one point he so said that great. crypto was a quote jihadist call against the US dollar. I love it. He is of course also the one who outbid the constitution Dow for that copy of Plus the $1. constitution. He said uh let's see the and then CoinDesk is reporting quote the current crypto market structure is deficient and inhibits wider adoption from a lot of investors mm. yep. which is what Citadel Securities trading consortium is addressing earlier this year sequoia and crypto vc firm Ah. paradigm invested 1.15 billion dollars in citadel got it both of them also invested in the institutional focused crypto exchange ftx so this represents an institutional takeover Hmm. of this of the crypto exchange part of this which is something that we keep talking about right like everything all the money in crypto seems to be in exchanges and not products Hmm. Amazing. And value creation on product. And then on the other hand, so that's just one example of institutions coming for upstarts. And then the other potentially is SEC chair Gary Gensler hinting that there might be some big overhauls coming to retail investing, huh. specifically around this idea of payment for order flow, which of course, as we know, yeah. is the business model that has enabled Robinhood and yeah. then every copycat since up to it, including like Schwab, yeah. to offer free trades. And so the SEC is making some noises about the idea that that may that payment for order flow may present a number of conflicts of interest and that there may need to be more transparency for retail investors. He does note, and this is important, right now there is not a level playing field among different parts of the market, wholesalers, dark pools and lit exchanges. Mm -hmm. That's true. But it also feels like some of the, I would imagine that in the, in corners of Wall Street bets right now, this is being interpreted as yeah. a crackdown on retail investing, which has been disruptive to the broader market. So let's do uh, the first one first. Yeah. Getting into crypto in 2022 <laughs> as it's crashing, I mean, is... <laughs> Buying the, the ultimate buy the dip? <laughs> it's either the ultimate buy the dip or like, I'm going to catch all the knives. Like, really? Isn't Coinbase, like, got serious challenges right now? And so Citadel wants to literally stand under, like, you know when, like, you unload a dump truck and all the stuff comes flying out of the back? (laughs) Like, Ken Griffin is, like, literally at the back. Somebody put all their knives in there. They opened up the dump truck and he's standing there at the back. Like, I'll catch every knife. It's like, "I I don't know you can catch all these knives, Ken. Like, or, or, I mean, yes, yes, and or, or yes, he or. wants to deliver the death blow. Like he wants to bring the machete to Coinbase. Yeah, maybe. I don't. Right. Like, I don't seem... know. I mean, Citadel, like the guy who would buy the Constitution for a dollar more than the Dow just to be like double barrel. This is guy's like the, the joker guy be... of finance. He's like, the, he's like, the, he's yeah. literally like Heath Ledger's joker. 
Like he really, I could imagine him taking that one billion dollars and just being like, I'm putting Coinbase down. I'm putting that dog down. If you're good at something, Molly, never do it for free. Never do it. If I'm going to cause chaos in the crypto market, you're damn sure I'm going to get paid. He's like, you know what? (laughs) I broke the global economy once and I'll do it again. Nick, by the way, producer Nick, unironically loves Ken Griffin. This is exactly the kind of energy that producer Nick is here for. Yeah. So, you know, Mm -hmm. here's the thing about crypto right now. Um, As we were just talking about Bird, we talked yesterday uh, about uh, BuzzFeed. Uh, and we talked two weeks ago about Peloton, right? We're having yeah. this ongoing discussion about what is a viable concern going forward. Well, when these shakeouts occur, you quickly learn <laughs> what's not working. Like these things are seriously broken and some of them will have the risk of ruin or there'll be features or there'll be, you know, business lines of bigger companies. And, mm-hmm. but if you, di- if you don't die during a downturn, then by definition, you deserve to exist. So if you survive, you know, like this crazy nuclear winter, you're going to be so strong, you're going to be like a shark or a crocodile, or a cockroach, you know, the animals that make it through to the other side when we have these cataclysmic events, like sharks have been here for a long time, alligators, you know, uh, cockroaches, these things have have made their way uh, across many different cycles. If you make it to the other side, you know, you're you're, you're good, uh, by Mm -hmm. definition. So what is going to make it through this long, cold, you know, winter when yeah. all the food goes away and there's no free money, there's, you know, there's no fruit and leaves on the trees. And, you know, there'll be, there'll be some things in crypto that actually make it to the other side, right? Yeah, and for sure. Maybe that's his thesis or maybe he had this thesis underway. Yeah, that's what it is. They had this thesis underway in the up market and they're still executing. it. So mm-hmm. he, he didn't just pop this idea out. When they raised that money from Sequoia and Paradigm, um, that billion dollars this w- that was the plan so when they did that earlier this year that means they were probably doing it six months before that so yeah that's what's going on here um, i i got all excited while you're talking thinking about how if you want to survive a siege you want to yeah. be in a literal citadel like a, a big what's gi- the difference between a citadel and a keep is <laughs> that the same thing i don't know a castle a citadel a keep uh, you know uh, you know between a lord citadel of the ring nerds get 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 in here lord and of the a ring keep. nerds I, I know there is a nody nerd here who can tell us. There definitely is, is. Oh my God. On, I just, I just Somebody. came across a, like a writing forum. That's like, I'm working on a fantasy novel set in a non-Terran world. And I need to know the right language. Do I want castle, keep, citadel, or fortress? <laughs> okay. A keep. okay. I'm off the rails. I'm off yeah. the rails. No, I, uh, what about keep, yeah. the SE? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Uh, so then going on to pay for order flow. Yes. SEC uh, uh, actually trying to create a fair playing field spurred by Robinhood and trades like that? Yeah. Or are they trying to like shut down this pesky retail trading situation? So it does seem to me that um, more disclosure here would be better. Definitely. Always more. Dis- I'm always in favor of more disclosure. Yeah. So if you uh, chose to, I'll, I'll leave out the name of the companies that do this since I own shares in one of them, Robinhood. So yeah. to just make this like more generically. Should people be able to do payment for order flow? In other words, should people be able to have this data front run the market? Should consumers be able to trade the fact that they're buying shares to get free trades? Mm-hmm. Seems to me consumers should be able to make that decision for themselves. If they want, if they're, if you're holding the stock forever and you're paying a fraction of a penny difference in a share or somebody's looking for data to make big trends based on the retail market, you're making independent decisions. Does it matter to you? It probably doesn't. Right. But you should but does know. It, but you, you should, should know. know. Right. And so how do you let people know this? 
Um, and I think it's just, you know, listen, people, you know, we are selling your data to other firms. So they know your trades, they know everybody's trades. Uh, and that's why it's free. And here is the opportunity to pay $29 a month to get 10 trades a month. And then after that, it's $3 a trade. So you just have a choice, which is mm -hmm. what I've always felt about Facebook as well. I feel consumers should have the right to use Facebook, not use Facebook. But if they do choose to use Facebook, the higher order, uh, you know, offering should be, would you like to pay $7.99 a month for Facebook with no ads and no tracking? Or would you like to have it free? And we're going to sell your information down to the articles you read, you know, uh, and the web pages you go to and your time on site and who your friends are to advertisers in aggregate so they can target ads to you, you pick, right? Right. So it's, I, it should be a you, and pick you should know, thing. you should know. Yes. Right. Um, like you can only pick if you know, what is also interesting is that Gensler and the SEC aren't necessarily calling for an actual ban. They're talking about this kind of interesting uh, middle ground, possibly creating an order by order auction mechanism. Mm. to help retail traders get the best price possible. So to mitigate the potential conflict of interest yeah, built into great. the arrangement, which I, I like. This is like one of those times where I feel like the SEC might be working toward a good solution to um, to what is a real issue, the transparency yeah. specifically. I mean, this all has to do with high frequency trading. Um, what right. was that book, Flash Boys or Flash yeah. Trades? Whatever it was, the Michael... Um, I think it's Flash Boys, yeah, about Brad Katsayama. I've talked to him, by the way. Great yeah. interview. So oh smart. Yeah. No, no, no. Brad Katsayama oh, is the Brad guy who's building IEX, which is the exchange that was supposed to mitigate yeah. for the high-frequency trading. Yeah. It's a speed bump. It's got a speed bump built into every trade. So, you know, I always felt the high-frequency trading thing was Flash Boys, yeah. I, I felt that that felt to me like unfair, um, that yeah. because somebody put their server closer to the other server, paid for a fiber line, upgraded their fiber line. Like it just felt icky. Um, mm -hmm. feels to me like the stuff should be more transparent and people shouldn't be able to get that edge. It would be like, there. I'm trying to think of the analogy in gambling or sports. Like, I don't think somebody should get like a little edge in a basketball game that they know who you're running the play for, you know, <laughs> or, yeah. You know, whatever it is like, so it just felt like icky to me. I like the mm -hmm. idea of there being like auctions and tracking just like with shorting of stocks. My understanding of the shorting is nobody has to disclose who's shorting the big positions, whatever. But you know, if you if you own stock in a company, and you have a certain percentage of it, you do need to, you know, if you're an employee, say if you're selling or not like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I felt like shorts over a certain percentage should need to be listed. Somewhere. should have to disclose that makes a ton of sense because shorting can be Shorting can be a great check and balance in the market where others do not exist, but it should be uh, more transparent. And the reason like it should with be everything. Well, if you're if you're shorting and you've got a big position and nobody knows it's you, and then yeah. you're doing like gnarly memes or bot armies, like you should own you should own your short. Like it'd be good to know if Bill Gates does have a billion dollar short on Tesla. I kind of want to know that. So when I see him on TV and he's talking bullshit, like exactly what is his position here now if he had a million dollar short like does it matter or a hundred thousand dollars short maybe under a million dollar shorts don't matter right but over 10 million or over a million you know or over 10 million or over x percentage of the stock or or the top 100 shorts whatever it is come up with totally, something because how is that not manipulation it is it should be disclosed um and that's yeah. why some people who take these short positions as like you know is the is the reason d'etre like the, the reason they're running their companies yeah. they come out and say we're shorting Herbalife. Here's our slide deck of why we think this whole thing's a scam. We mm -hmm. went, we did the training. It's a multi-level marketing thing. 
none of this stuff exists. We went to like when that guy shorted her Herbalife, and I think he got barbecued on it. Yeah, he like they I, I don't know if you ever saw that deck in the presentation, like, he was finding like Herbalife's in the back of like this deli was the address for the Herbalife thing. And they were running it out of the back of the deli, but there was nobody ever there. And it was like, he, they, they did this with like 20 of them, they couldn't find all the affiliates. So people were the affiliates were doing all kinds of weird stuff. Um, but they were still had good sales. So yeah. It might have been sloppy or even, you know, smarmy, but it was still working. All right, as we wrap here, little media meta media meditation. Yeah, um, I guess we have two things we can talk about my hit on Megan Kelly, or your tweet storm about ownership. Uh, why don't we start with yours? Yeah, you sure? Uh, we can do it. That's up to you. I we're mean, right here. We're, we're right here. here. This is the end of the show, folks. We're gonna get through these two things. Yeah. We are. Let's talk about Megyn Kelly. Let's go there because I feel like what I feel like you had an interesting. I mean, for one thing, you had a really interesting hit, but also you had a like front row seat to this thing that we've been talking about, which is the incentives in media that are making people get potentially more and more extreme as they go independent. Yeah. So um, you got you got ambushed a little bit. I I don't feel like I got ambushed. I went in knowing Megyn Kelly was, I didn't know she was like full, and I don't, I still don't know if she's full like alt-right or whatever, but she seems to be like, I guess down that, uh, in that Tucker zone, which is, I would say, far right for entertainment persons. Far right entertainment. entertainment. Yeah, absolutely. But I know that she was doing like YouTube, and so I was like, okay, Sax is doing it. I, I, I recognize the name. I know she had this huge contract, I think, with NBC at some point. So to be honest, I didn't think it through. Um, Sachs was doing it. He asked me to do it. I was like, okay, fine. It should be an interesting adventure. Um, yeah, somebody here is saying in the comments, Sun Prophet saying Megan is like Tucker Light. Okay, fine. Right. So yes, maybe she's just a that's little. Fair. That's mm-hmm. fair, probably. Mm-hmm. So I didn't go in with a lot of expectations. But at some point we get to, and it was on the eve of the Chesa Boudin recall, which I was not a supporter financially. And I didn't start the recall movement. I did a random act of journalism where I hired a journalist. Uh, or I did a GoFundMe. I put in $500. The rest of the community in San Francisco put in $60,000 or so. We gave it to a woman named Su- Susan Reynolds who covers crime. And I said, this is exclusively to do feature stories on victims. Mm-hmm. Will you agree to that? She agreed to that. We gave her the money. Mm-hmm. I didn't make any money off it. I just passed it through, got some insurance. And that was it. I thought this would be an interesting experiment for me. So I, I'm associated with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't live in San Francisco anymore. I live in the wider Bay Area, but I do have a property there. Um, and so I, I do have some sort of vested interest in the future of the city. So we talked about that. And, uh, for those of you who don't know, Chester Putin got recalled, um, San Francisco is 6% Republican, but somehow those Republicans figured out how to get like 65% of the recall votes. So this <laughs> massive Republican GOP wave, or maybe they did 10 votes each. I don't know what these GOP right wingers <laughs> are doing in San Francisco, but somehow they figured out. The, oh my god i think there's like four republican billionaires in san francisco and i'm friends with Something two of like them that. and they all went for this campaign big time well i mean it's a you know they were doing it maybe for you know more sinister dunking reasons but the people of san francisco had enough of the experiment of not um prosecuting violent crime and that's basically what it comes down to people had enough of it um it was a little too far even for the the thing so we talked about that it was fine um oh my god megan had a 69 million dollar contract from NBC. Oh my God. Oof. If that's true, really? So um at some point it started during the show, out great. Super complimentary to you, I understand. I did not What's that? Only I it, it started out great. It sounds like it was she was super complimentary it, it was to fine. you. Yes, because I think yeah, she saw yeah. me as an ally. 
uh, for dunking on the left. But <laughs> most people think I'm on the left. So here I am in my no man's land. I'm just like, I, I have no home. I am literally a Ronin with no political party. I got my own wacky views of the world, you know, and people are claiming me for one party or putting me in the other, depending on their party. So then she gets into this gun control thing and she's like, and by the way, the left is using this gun thing to show blah, 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 blah. And, you know, they're even mistaking the, you know, what is a mass shooting? And I was like, well, that's interesting. Like, what is a mass shooting? Just like, you know, and I, so I thought that was like a pretty, because you know how I am about these topics. I like to mm -hmm. problem solve. I'm the problem solver in the relationship. Yeah. So I immediately go to problem solving. I'm like, okay, if the problem is the definition of mass shootings, let's all get consensus on that. So I'm looking online, I see the FBI, USA Today, victim rights group, everybody says four is the number for mass. Mm -hmm. And she so I ask her like, what I think is a very straightforward question, Ma, you know, um, Megan, <laughs> how many people have to be killed or shot in order for you to consider a mass shooting? And this like trigger warning she loses starts to lose her cool and i was like oh i've seen this before <laughs> when i had the palmer lucky interview i asked him three times how why were you fired from facebook so here we are again mm -hmm. this person is like and she asked this like bizarrely convoluted question um that really wasn't a seemed to be saying that Democrats were calling all shootings mass shootings unfairly yes. so that they could justify taking away guns and avoid their record on crime which was the that's the shortest possible version. Exactly. And then Jason's like, whoa, 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 how many people need to be shot for it to be considered a mass shooting? And then we got to the all caps, all caps. I'm the right. interviewer, you are not. And then bad words. Yeah, she called me a prick. And then she was like, how about you answer my questions? And like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was talking to somebody else who was on her show. And they're like, Oh, that's what she does. She like warms you up. And then she attacks you like that's her that's her shtick. Oh, so I was like, yeah, Oh, my exactly. God, this is entertaining. So I'm like smiling. And I'm like, Oh my God, she's losing her mind. Jake Howe's loving it. I'm loving it. I was like, I was also like, wait a second. Is this person a professional? Like, she's like, you don't even know me. And you may be number 26 in the rankings. And I'm like, oh my Lord. So, you know what? Some, it was like a, she's a Karen. She went full Republican Karen. So she loses her minds in Starbucks. She starts knocking everything <laughs> off the counter. God. She goes full Karen. I step back. I'm like, I don't need to be part of this. You don't know me. Near near. I'm like, so everybody starts taking out their phones and taping Megan Karen. Um, and, uh, and so of course, full disclosure, I'm like, I can't believe you went on the <laughs> show. And then, you know, like, I'm like, <laughs> I had the same thought. I, I'm like, you're just chipping away. You, I had the same I'm thought. Like, here I moment. am. I spent the whole morning yesterday from 7 a.m. to 10, like making <laughs> our show better. And he's out here making sure that there are people who are not going to want to come on our show anymore. And I'm like, what is happening here? No, but no, I think no, it's like no. such opposite. an interesting, but then it's this whole question yeah. about who you engage with. Yes. Who you, who you quote unquote platform. Why? Right. Like who's acting in good faith out here to bring us information? And this Me. is like one of those cases where I'm like, sorry, but no, she's not. You are. Yes. But does it matter if you go on this show where the whole show is not in good faith? Okay. Well, here's the reaction on Twitter. There's me like, I was like, oh, Sax is like, like, I love it. Sax looks like Emperor Palpatine. This is, this is mid. Jason, do you want me to upload the clip and I'll play the curb? Oh your my God. No. I'll play it's the curb so clip. Funny. No, no, uh, this is funny. Watch this. The he made whole this. thing? Hold on. No, no, not the whole thing. Nick made a meme. It's like a 45 second clip. I'll leave it. We'll put it in the show notes. You guys listen to this. But this is Nick's. Nick did this as like a goof to our group chat. 
Oh, nice. Um, okay. He, yeah, I mean, Sax does look like, I like Palpatine. Nick edits. I if like somebody Nick could edits. Photoshop Sax <laughs> with the Palpatine hood, he and you know, like he looks like Palpatine, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, I'm like, hello there. I'm like Obi Wan in this picture. I'm like, oh, hello there. <laughs> so anyway, the um, there was a big. Uh, I got a, this thing went viral yesterday. There was a lot of support for me. Uh, and I got a lot of DMs. People were like, wow, this is the best moment you've ever had in media. Uh, yeah. You know, and it wasn't like a dunking thing. It was, I think what people saw in that moment was the complete insincerity of her argument. Yes. And totally. some people thought I was a little rough on her because she demanded that I respond. She said, well, g- answer my question. And, and I then said, you did. Well, I said to her, was there a question? Can you, can you tell me the question? Right. She says, well, I gave you a framework or whatever. I want your reaction to what I said. I said, okay, I'll give you the reaction to what I said. And the first thing that came to my mind was, um, you've just come, uh, you've just, and I can say this, I think on Mm -hmm. all in or here, and there'll be no problem. I think you've conflated a bunch of issues uh, in a partisan way. And I probably didn't need to add this last part, but I was in full candid J-Cal mode. And I said, for ratings. Yeah. And I think- all so true that it <laughs> triggered a volcano whoa that was the game over volcano. moment when i said i think you've conflated a lot of you know important issues here in a partisan way that was like mm-hmm. trigger number one yeah oh yeah and then i was like because you're a karen and it was because you want ratings because i that's sincerely what i thought she was doing that's what i sincerely thought she was doing now yeah. was that rude of me as the guest to say that I don't know. I, if somebody well, said it to me, I would be able to, in a calm fashion, say, "No, it's not for ratings." Like, nah, let, me un- let me let me unpart. What what part did you think was partisan? Mm-hmm. And if it's convoluted and it's three or four issues, let's take one issue at a time. I'll I'll put aside the ratings thing. But if you think it's convoluted, I'll break it down into three parts. Number one, you know, gang shootings of one person is not a mass shooting, and handguns are not weapons. And why are we including these statistics in this argument as, you know, this person did, right? And so right. If, if you want to make that argument, we can have that argument, right? And I, I think that's the nuanced argument that would have been better, right. right? I think she's programmed to be partisan. I think she's programmed to do cliffhangers. And she's still in that like MSN, whatever, I don't know what network she was on, Fox, NBC, but she's in that network opinion network news, news thing. thing. Right. We're at the end of the clip, you you know, you're trying to make these hangers so that you can stay tuned through the, you know, whatever Omaha Steaks commercial, and then we get you back <laughs> after it. Yeah. Which it's was like tease in the biz. The tease. The tease yeah, like these the super tease. teases. Like, yeah. And so I don't think she's actually got her. And I, I think she's smart. I mean, I don't know how smart she is or, but I think she's so in a certain, like a format. Right. I think the format she uses is completely different than what we do here, completely different than all in, which is similar to what we do here is honest discussion based on yes. the facts yeah, and completely different than a h- highly produced NPR piece where you do a lot of research and you edit it and you, you, you know, you tell a story kind of thing and it takes two days to produce it. She's doing something completely different and she's not going to have a nuanced point by point debate because that doesn't serve her audience. And she picked one side of the audience, that side of well, the audience wants to have a partisan dunk fest and i'm not there 100%. for a partisan dunk fest i don't 100%. care what side says what i want to have a detailed nuanced discussion and so i feel like 
as much as I was like, I can't believe you went on that show. Why are you trying to ruin my life all the time? Um, <laughs> Explain <laughs> to people kidding. why this ruins your life, Cinderella. It does, <laughs> because then I get a thing that's like, I can't believe you work for this guy. You got to quit. You got to come work for me. You're, you're, do, you're like causing uh, harm in the world. Like, it's like my yes. job to clean it up like Cinderella. Yes. And I'm like, hey, I'm not it's on Beauty that and other the Beast show. would be a better one. They're like, Beauty and the Beast is, is an excellent one. Exactly. Who goes and out and just like, and, and like, if you oh. could just do better, you could turn him into a normal man instead of a beast. Right. Yes. Yes. Be- Beauty and the Beast, by the way, the single most damaging uh, fairy tale that has ever come along for women. Exactly. So that was the thought I was having. And then you see what happens when, because you do have all of these bad faith actors in media yeah. on every, on, you know, and there are extremes on both sides, although the far right is the most extreme right now, but it is about incentives it's about staying relevant it's about engaging and having like a it's really i keep saying like of course everybody wants to trigger the libs it's fun libs are the worst sometimes i literally feel like in the room like the mom like being a buzzkill about like well actually it's really true though that people do get discriminated against in the real world right so what happened really though is that what she's in is a bubble yes. of constant positive reinforcement for everything that she says. And you went in and punctured the bubble. Yeah. Here's right. And it was f- actually fascinating to watch. Yeah. And I, and to be totally honest, honest I did it. not go in there, try to dunk on here. I did what I always do. Just want to have like a reasonable discussion. Let's, let's get into the facts. Let's problem solve. That's and that's kind not of, what's ha- that's not that's what happens. That, that's in that's bubbles. what's happening there. So it yep. became like a John Stewart moment. I don't know if you remember when John Stewart, I think, was I think there was one where he talked to Jim Cramer and he became sort of serious about stuff or there was another one where you know like you're just kind of being serious right I actually uh, <laughs> lo and behold I became the serious person here who was like well how many and I so I asked her three times yeah so how we many people you want to play it do, do you want okay so here we'll just play funny one. Times. this is a funny way, this is just the funny clip all right well, now funny. we can just enjoy we now can enjoy, enjoy the aftermath the before we yeah, have to go how back many to people work. do need to die in a mass shooting for it to be why don't you answer my question life? since you're here as the guest what was the question host. was there a question yeah that, I, th- that's, I thought we're here to have a dialogue Megan. i thought yeah and i'm shooting the point at you and i'm asking for your reaction okay um i think you're conflating a lot of different issues in a very partisan way to get ratings that's bull****. Don't question my motives. That's, this is where you, you turn into You asked me what asshole. I think. That's what I said. That's what I think. I think you're complaining a lot of issues here. I think we need to have a realistic discussion about gun control in this country. No, no, no. I think Let me just stop. Partisan. Let's Let have the actual stop. thing. What you Don't, said that there's a I'm giving you my honest analysis. Around. And for you to say that I am misleading the audience for ratings is a prick thing to say. You don't know me. All right. I've made my name and I've made my business based on honest journalism. I realize you may be number 26 worldwide, but you've never done real journalism at the level I have in your life. So I don't need a lecture from you about ratings. I am here to deliver honest information to my audience. And that's what I'm doing. Oh, my God. Well, well played, Nick. Well played. Nick, Nick you're oh, just. Nick. It's too funny. Oh, God. You know that there's that new like that new emoji that's like this. That's oh yeah, right when you look the, through, looking the, through your fingers, through yeah. your eyes, like yeah, oh, yeah. it's like a horror movie. That was too good. Sax, I'm crying. Sax's reaction was just so great. Sax's reaction. He's like, yes. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> at first great. he's like watching it happen, like, oh no, Megan's going oh, down, my Lord. And then pretty soon he's like, we yeah. are 26 in the world. Boom. Well, <laughs> I mean, well, I, and you know, she asked us about, hey, the pod's done so amazing. I was like, yeah, no, it's crazy. It's like a phenomenon. I can't believe it hit number 26 the other week. So then that was very revealing. You know, when people lose their cool, Molly, it becomes very revealing what they say. She, that whole time she was interviewing me, 
was thinking, how the f*** are these guys 26 and I'm 2600? I'm stuck on Sirius. I am on Sirius channel 273. Yeah. I have 49,000 Twitter followers. J-Cal's got 500,000. I am a professional journalist. This guy's a f***ing hack. Yeah. You see how she tried to dismiss me? Yeah, 100%. You have I mean, never done journalism I, at my level. I've never done journalism. She didn't know me. I, I ran a magazine. <laughs> you I sold a company me? for $30 million. I created the number one blog in the world for a period of time. And Gadget yeah. was the number one blog for like two years. When I, I ran mean, it, at least. Pretty much changed digital journalism full stop. Yeah. And like, come on, man. Stop. Like, I, I'm not trying to get a Pulitzer over here, but you don't have to like attack me. And they said, oh, you may be 26, but I, but, but, but. And I was like, okay, somebody needs to talk to their therapist about this because like, come on, like really you're that angry at me? And maybe like, listen, maybe I'm it's not always coming on like here being like, Bill Simmons is number one and he's just talking about the Celtics game and why should Bill Simmons be number one? You know, like I I'm mean, like, stoked for Bill Simmons to be number one. I love his podcast. You're her, um, you're her Scott Galloway. I'm not scared. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Speaking of Scott Gallagher. And maybe, look, maybe the show's like that all the time. I don't know. But to I me, it know. seemed like what happened is you got accidentally inside the bubble. I did. You made a good, yes. you made a like a reason. You were like, let's good have a real conversation about this. And you had a good one-liner that good was one somewhat devastating in its uh, <laughs> unvarnished truth. And yeah. bubble burst. Bubble, bubble burst. bursting. Yeah. Uh, all right. And Kara Swisher is leaving her role as a columnist. And also Kara Swisher is leaving her role as a columnist. podcaster at New York yeah. Times after, I don't know how long she was there, for like a year doing Sway, which was great. Great, great uh, interview show. Maybe longer. Um, and was an, op an opinion contributor. I don't know if she still will yeah. be doing that. But yeah, is going back to Vox. Going back to Vox, uh, which what code. Uh, Pivot's been a great success. Uh, she's been doing that with Scott Galloway, Professor Cole takes for about four years. Swisher said she became very interested in owning intellectual property and sharing in the benefits of building a business alongside a partner. Mm -hmm. So what I would take from that is she has ownership in Pivot now. It's not just a paid gig. And they did a conference in the code conference. I think they're going to do one more year of that and end it. So maybe it'll just be like the Pivot conference. We'll take that. And she, you know, she's 60 now, she said, and um, she looks right for 60, by the way, and great energy. Uh, you know, when you're 60, Molly, you probably have one more good pushing you to build a brand and she probably wants to create a legacy here and she wants to own that legacy. So this is pivot. about the New York Times, but also yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. That. So explain that because you were there. Totally. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think what's so interesting is that what we're seeing is that legacy media, yeah. uh, such as the New York Times, she's leaving for almost all the same reasons that Taylor Lorenz left, right. which is that the New York Times is only interested in having one star in the house and that star is the New York Times. Got it. That they're not interested and and you know, full disclosure, ne neither is American public media, the parent yeah. company of marketplace interested in having their talent own right. even a part, let alone all of the products that they create yes. in house. And so what Kara Sweat said is not only uh, is she very interested in owning intellectual property and sharing in the benefits of building a business alongside a partner, she said, these organizations need to start thinking about talent. Yeah. And, and you I, I think it's just a really it's a this, big change. Not? You yeah. created, I mean, you've created a number of brands. And when I say created, I'm not saying you um, co-hosted. Like I created This Week in Startups, you co-hosted. Somebody right. created Marketplace, you co-hosted. What people don't know is, make me smarter, and correct me if I'm wrong here, make Smart. me smarter, and I know for a fact how we survive, 
you came up with those names and those concepts, yep. executed on them. And yep. now the company owns it, which is how it works. If you work for a company, you, they own your IP, they yep. pay you a salary, you take no risk, they take the risk. Boom. Uh, but, but you did create those two brands. I provide you right? with the resources and all misspeak. that, but I created those two yeah. brands. I'm not misspeaking. I created, Tom and I created Buzz Out Loud for CNET, which was the right. first successful, you know, commercially successful yeah. podcast. I created the Buzz Report. I created Always On. I even wrote yeah. a business plan for it. So what you're seeing in media, like this is the way of work. Yeah. But in media, like creativity, increasingly, I'm realizing that creativity is a product that creates value. And sure. so you're having these legacy media operations have a brain drain because it's in, because they're disincentivizing us to bring our best ideas to work. At some point, after I had argued with yeah. the last place enough times about ownership and ID and equity or even freaking bonuses around yeah. products I created inside my own brain and inspired sure. others to execute. Yeah. You get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm not going to bring you my good ideas anymore. I'm going to start my own thing and yeah. own them on the side. And I think it's just very interesting in the media landscape that that's what Taylor and Kara and, and all of the creators who have chosen to remain yeah. Joe Rogan, right? Joe Rogan. Like you see people saying, I'm not Sam participating Harris, in this yeah. thing where I give you my creativity for free because it's a really valuable product. Yeah. And, and I think this is kind of a hybrid. So there really is like three models here. You're Joe Rogan uh, or this week in startups or whatever. You're a solo person, you take all the risk, you pay the staff, you 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 own it. Uh, and then there's I work for somebody full time, they own my IP, I get, yep. you know, all these, uh, I take no risk, I the if they hire staff, I don't have to pay them and worry about their staff, I don't have to get a second mortgage on my house or whatever, to, to pay for this endeavor, you know, yep. not knowing if it's going to work or not. Yep. But there is something in the middle. There's and something increasingly in the, middle. the thing in the middle you know, could take a couple of different forms here. I'm just taking a guess. I don't have inside information, but Bankoff did buy Weblogs Inc, which was like kind of the precursor to Vox, you know, um, the verge was based on Engadget, you know, uh, and their video game was based on joystick. And, and he's given me credit for that. So I don't need to belabor it. But, um, you know, they are clearly going to give Kara Swisher ownership in this new brand. Mm hmm. And they're going to put up the money to make it. So maybe it's a, a 50 50 partnership. Maybe she owns the majority of it. And they own, or maybe she said to them, I'll, I own it. You get to monetize it for 10 years. And I'm doing a licensing deal with you, mm -hmm. which is the deal that Joe Rogan did with Spotify. Joe Rogan still owns all his IP. He yeah. just gave exclusive rights to it for a time period to Spotify. So there's different flavors of this. Um, and people need to realize that, right? And uh, they do. I think legacy media needs to realize that because they've got a big brain drain problem and they have people choosing to be YouTube creators and Instagram creators and be on Spotify and they have every opportunity to make their own podcast and platforms still matter. Like people call you back a lot faster when you're at mm -hmm. the New York Times than when of you're course. not. Yeah. Um, but I just I think it's like a big you're starting to see a big power shift. And it's I think it's great to see, you know, when Taylor does it she went to the Washington Post, so it's going to be all the same issues, respectfully, yeah. <laughs> as it was in some ways. But when Kara stands up and is like, no, yeah. right? I like, I, yeah. I have given you my product for free this whole well, time. Well, no, not for free. Not for you, free. You got I have ownership. given you my product. I was a paid servant. I was a paid, right. Yes. And I maybe, mean, and you know, you, and you have to try to benefit in way outside ways by, like, getting speaking gigs that the New York Times never lets you take and all of these other things. Yeah. And it's just, like, exhausting. So good for her. Yeah, I mean, there's you can make the choice as a content creator. It, it really is how much risk do you want to dial up? If you want to take yeah. the risk, you get the reward. 
if you want to just show up for work for 40 hours a week or whatever number and you know just rest you, you can take that option too and then there's everything in between you know yeah. and uh, so uh congratulations uh Kara Swisher's making money moves great good for her making money, money moves moves all right speaking Party of which stuff. we are we supposed go. to podcast in the morning and invest in the afternoon and we are well into the afternoon God, this that's is a impressive show, everybody all right tomorrow Thanks we have a little notice give a thumbs up uh if you're watching on youtube youtube.com says this weekend this weekend yeah and then tomorrow to those noties we'll be back at 9 a.m pacific with a special guest oh special guest oh Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 oh. So just oh, I know be prepared early. Is. You're doing the show without me tomorrow. Yes, I am. But with a fan favorite guest. Special uh, guest, empty chair. Just kidding. Fan favorite. Fan, fan favorite. favorite. Is it a lady boss? It is a lady boss. We got a lady boss. Here we go. It's going to be a good show. All right. It's going to be a great show. We'll see you all tomorrow. See Bye. you then. Bye. If you are a founder of a pre-Series A company, you haven't raised that Series A yet, which is really hard. Well, we wanted to invite you to Founder University. This is a two-day intensive course. It takes place on June 13th and 14th. It's remote. It's free. We limit the number of people who can come. We ask you to apply. And this virtual workshop is free for founders and helps you understand how to fundraise and pitch, how to hire great people, how to build a world-class product how to execute on your sales and marketing and some growth techniques as well. The launch team and I have been doing this for a long time. It has been amazing for us to get to know founders. And that's why we do it. Of course, we want to help folks as many as possible. That's part of our mandate. But really our mandate at launch here at This Week in Startups and you know the syndicate, which is where we invest, we meet and invest in companies is we want to back builders. And so we use these events as a way to get to know you. And if you're building something and we see you're credibly building something interesting in the world, well, then we want to invest in you. So truth be told, every time we do Founder University, a half dozen of those people, we wind up funding in the next year or so. So it's a great way for us to spend time with entrepreneurs. Um, We're going to be joined by a lot of experts. Uh, My friend Becky DeGraw, uh, who's my attorney uh, from Wilson Sincini, will be speaking at the event. FitBot's co-founder, Jesse, uh, will be speaking. Marlo CEO, Mary Fox, will be speaking. So we get a bunch of our portfolio companies who have been crushing it and who have learned a lot. And we've seen that they are qualified builders. We have them uh, come speak at the event. So you see how we do things here at uh, This Week in Startups and Launch and the Syndicate. We like to uh, create a flywheel. We invest in people who come out of Founder University. Some number of them really crush it and become world-class companies. And it's not guaranteed. You have to do the work, folks. The ones who do, then we have them speak at a later Founder University. So a lot of the great companies we've met came to a Founder University. They got to know us. They learned something. It was worth their time. And that's really what we do with the agenda. We try to make it worth your time to take two days off work, uh, essentially. Now, it's, it's remote. So you know you can consider it your weekend, even though it's taking place around the week. Um, you consider it professional development. And if you learn one or two important things about running a company, fundraising, growth, hiring, well, those one or two things will pay for those two days. I am absolutely certain of it. Now you have to apply again, so you can register at founder.university. Yes, it's a great domain name. So go to founder.university and sign up. We also have a course called angel.university. If you want to invest in the companies and you think the philosophy I've explained here about how I invest in companies, and I've invested in over 300 of them, Um, If you think this is an interesting um, way to meet startups early, help them and invest in them, well, you can read my deal memos as we invest in new companies and you can join us on that adventure. And I do this through a course called Angel University that has raised close to $200,000 for charity. And you can sign up for Angel University at angel.university. We do it four times a year. Great program. 
Uh, and it's just me and my partner, Mike Savino, talking about uh, how we pick companies, how we evaluate them, how we diligence them, how we source them, like Founder University is a source of investment and deal flow for us. And uh, that three or four hour course, actually, I think it's more like four or five hours is well worth your time. All the proceeds from Angel University go to charity. And again, over 175,000, I think at this point, it's gone to charity. So I'm very proud of that work. And Founder University is free. But you do have to apply and we do pick people who have built a little bit of something. So we're looking for you to have some skin in the game. We have a Founder University 12 week program, which you can also see at founder.university. We'll be starting our third cohort shortly. And you can apply for that program if you have not started building or your very early stages haven't incorporated yet you're nowhere near the series a you're kind of in the solo or co-founder situation and you're just starting to build maybe maybe you've incorporated maybe you have it and that's a 12-week course and that's another great one that we do so please join us founder.university and if you want to invest in these great companies angel.university